Welcome to the Missionary District. This is Tyler Wall and Amos Martell, and this is uh, our series on secularism. Uh, and in this particular podcast, we're talking about individualism. Is that correct, Amos? It sure is, Tyler. And uh, if you're listening today and you think, is that a piano in the background? Uh, it is. You're not going crazy. There is uh, somebody tuning a piano in the background, and it's probably not going to bleed through, but if you do hear a note once in a while, that's all it is. It's background music. We thought that we needed background music. Yeah. We do actually probably need intro music or something. Oh, yeah, Could you probably. give us some intro music, Tyler? <laughs> do 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 <laughs> The Missionary District. <laughs> with Tyler Wall and Amos Martell. That's great. I'm going to cut that and use it for every episode. (laughs) Oh, please don't. That's going to be terrible. I can do better. That's why it's not that it's terrible that I did. Okay, you work on it, and that next episode will. Perfect. Okay. I'll work with Dave for a bit and try and get, like, the notes right, (laughs) and then I'll, you know, riff. That's great. Um, Yeah, so... I think we've talked about the beliefs of uh, secularism quite a bit. That you know, mm-hmm. one thing that's baked into the public sphere that's constantly acting on us is this sort of flattened metaphysical outlook that denies a place for the transcendent. And yeah, today I thought it would maybe be worth starting to talk about some of the values and ideologies that we find in the public sphere of secular society and as you said, starting with individualism. Mm-hmm. Maybe just as a, a broad reminder, um, a secular society is one that has a public sphere and a private sphere, and the two are very distinct from one another. So we understand uh, the separation of church and state to be essential to a society that can actually function, for example. So uh, religious belief in particular is is relegated to the private sphere. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen publicly. We just limit its influence on, you know, public policy and education and things like that. There are, there, there are no religious obligations in order to fully participate in society. The, the religion that somebody chooses is no more significant at a societal level than, uh, say, the sports team that somebody chooses or their favorite color or something like that. Like, you're you're doing it with other people, but it's a personal thing. It's uh, more of an opinion, and it matters, but mostly it matters for you as an individual. It doesn't mm-hmm. really affect me as your neighbor or your fellow citizen. Right. Yeah, exactly. This is, uh, you know, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think everybody sort of recognizes that individualism is baked into the secular worldview, uh, but I think we can connect it to the metaphysical conversation we've been having as well, because I think once you get rid of anything transcendent, anything that is higher than material reality, then the things that actually bond you to other human beings begin to erode rather quickly. Right, because it's it's not oh, yeah. actually the material things that keep us together. It is our beliefs, and it is uh, our love for one another, and those intangible things that you just can't easily quantify. Right, like on secularism, you might have something like a contract, 
but that that's a binding together at a much more superficial level. Mm-hmm. In, in Christianity, we are bound together ontologically at the level of being. Who we are as individuals is not cleanly separable from who we are as a people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, and th- those physical things that that bond us together like a team. Right. Like, well, what if the Edmonton football team suddenly becomes the Edmonton Elks? And it's just like, well, that, that changed, right? Or if we were bonded over the flip phone and how amazing it was. And, oh, yeah, I got a, what was the, the Razor? I think that was the, the, the hot phone back in 2004. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you you had a, you were collectively, you know, I have a Razor. I do too. Hey, we can be friends. And now all of a sudden, everything's a touch phone. The thing that bonded us is no longer there. Right, so, so the community just sort of dissipates. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And smoking. I always said that smokers have an instant, this is back in, the 1990s i'm dating myself at this point (laughs) but smokers had an instant group of friends right and i and i noticed this when i was at a job and you know i was having a trouble integrating and well how do you make friends here like how do you and the smokers that would start after me they would go smoking and instantly they're friends with all the other smokers because they're all spending the time together they're all gathered around that thing now that smoking's gone it's not a thing anymore well as much mostly yeah yeah that's not the thing that binds people. So I don't know. Those are some examples of, is that, was that kind of close to what? Yeah, I think so. You're, you're bonding together around superficial things and not at the level of belief or intuition or love um, or ontology at the level right, of yeah. being, yeah, um, exactly. which is sort of what we're, what we're driving at. The timelessness of Christ. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, and so secularism places um, a really high value on, the individual and on individual freedoms. So where once identity was found primarily in a community or in the tribe that you belong to, um, I think that has now been almost totally atomized. And we tend to think of ourselves almost like monads, like we're all on our own journey and we have the freedom to make the choices that we want to make without really infringing on anyone else. Like we just don't think of our lives as being deeply intertwined with one another anymore. Like with the exception of maybe our very close relationships, our contact with others remains pretty superficial. And even with those close relationships, we still have the freedom to choose the depth of our involvement and um, we're, we're very segregated from one another. Does that, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And I, you know. Would you say that's true of your experience? I, yeah, I would I would say I see that a lot in uh, a lot of the relationships I have at work, and I see that a lot in in our communities mm-hmm. where there's this you know, it's almost seen as a good thing that we're you know becoming more and more individual. Right. But I think COVID has actually exasperated this. That you know, oh, we can be more isolated, more isolated, more isolated, and then coming out of it, there's almost this. They're acting out in ways that they need more than than the individualistic thing, but they don't really realize it. Right. We don't even realize it as Christians sometimes. Yeah, I think people are um, intuitively looking for for more. Right? Yeah. So again, when we talk about um, religious belief, we understand uh, religious belief to be something that primarily affects the individual on their own journey with God, and 
this is really, really different from, um, say, pre-modern times where the individual was embedded in a community and one person's actions or beliefs would impact the whole community in a positive or negative way. Like we saw our lives as being deeply intertwined. And um, I know I've talked about Charles Taylor before, um, who wrote A Secular Age, but he uses this example when he's talking about this of a, of a religious ceremony called uh, Beating the Bounds. And essentially in this uh, ritual, the community would gather and mark out the land around the parish church and pray for divine protection. And when I say community, probably our listeners are assuming that uh, I mean the community that happened to call that church home. Mm -hmm. That's not what I mean by that. I mean like the actual geographical community around the church, because those are the people that called that church home. So the whole community would come together and pray around the property and pray for divine protection. And it's a ritual that would serve to safeguard the community against these unseen forces of evil that would try to harm them. Mm -hmm. And... I think in some ways that's not altogether foreign from something that some Christians might do today. Like um, we actually often pray through people's homes uh, with them and things like that. But I think the differences become really obvious if we imagine what would happen if a member of the community sort of breaks ranks and refuses to participate. Like they, they no longer believe that this is an effectual ritual, so they want to opt out. In a secular society, I mean, how would we respond to that? How, how would you respond to that? Oh, yeah, it would absolutely be like, oh, no, yeah, go ahead, do what you want to do. We're doing our thing, and you're free to do what you want to do. Yeah. yeah. So it's hard, I think, for us to even imagine why that would be problematic, mm-hmm. right? Because it's not a big deal. The beliefs uh, of that person really only affect them, and they have the freedom to choose whether or not they want to participate. They can choose... Uh, what they want to believe and what they don't want to believe, and why would that affect me as an in, as an individual or uh, even us as the the church community or or whatever? Mm-hmm. It's it's difficult for for us to grapple with. So when we look back in history, I think we have a really hard time understanding why the community in a circumstance like that would have such an extreme reaction, because the individual that refuses to participate in that kind of corporate ritual would either have to be convinced to conform or be totally ostracized from the community, maybe even killed, uh, depending on the society. Obviously not in a Christian ceremony, but there's, there's lots of analogs with you know, other religions and paganism and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, and what kills somebody in society, right? Like, it may not be a physical death, but it might be, a, you know, sure, well, like yeah, you said, yeah. ostracizing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, there, and, and the reason it's so harsh is because something like that can can actually be devastating for a community and dangerous, right? The, the fact that the will of the community is divided is deeply problematic. And this, this one person even pulling away in a different direction could have spiritual implications or consequences that reverberate through the entire community and put them at risk, right? They've opened a door now to the forces of evil. You couldn't be sure anymore that the ceremony would work like it's supposed to the fabric that holds the community together, their shared beliefs and practices and rituals has been put in jeopardy. So one person's belief or lack of belief could open the entire community up to 
demonic attack or sickness or famine, natural disasters, uh, the judgment of God, essentially. Like, mm-hmm. like there are communal implications for your beliefs and for your actions. You're not a monad. You're not just a lone individual. And what you believe doesn't just affect you and your life, but, but can impact the entire society. And I think that's why we see such severe social punishments for a lack of conformity on things like this in the past. It, it, it's a necessary thing in order to protect the community from spiritual forces that you don't know or understand. So this sounds ridiculously familiar. Does it? It does to something happening today. And maybe maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's just a different manifestation, maybe. It just sounds a lot like people who do take the vaccine and people who don't take the vaccine. And that people who don't take it are, oh, you're not helping society. So we're going to ostracize you. We're going to make things very uncomfortable for you. We're going to make it hard for you to do, you know, traveling and, and all, the, you know, all, the, the, all the stuff that's in. Uh, I find that very interesting that that this this manifestation that you're talking about in Christian community is now blown up into the macro mm-hmm. and it's and maybe back then it was you know that was society was Christian yeah. uh, in certain areas of the world where everybody well everybody's Christian so it just affected everybody well today it it seems like it's manifesting in in the secular society and in the Christian church as well I mean I'm not sure where it seems that there's a a bit of a which one is bleeding into which? Yeah. <laughs> um, back then it would be, well, you're under the umbrella of God. But today it's more like, well, the science says. Yeah. The science says if you don't follow us, if you don't join the tribal, the tribalism, the tribe of the vaccinated, you're hurting us all. Right. Because you're getting it. You're not getting it for yourself. You're getting it for everybody else. Right. And, and then all those punishments come along. You're choosing that, but it impacts us. So you can't travel. You can't. Right. Because the the safety of the community yeah. is actually more important than yeah. the safety or the, the, the freedom of the individual to choose what they want to choose. Exactly. Uh, we're, we're seeing those things conflict with one another. Yes. Yeah. Um, Which and I'm it's, finding very fascinating. Yeah. And it's interesting. I think this sort of tribalism that, that that you're talking about in in some ways is is intuitive like we we do actually at an at a deep level within our humanity want to preserve the safety of the community mm-hmm. even at the expense of individuals right but it's interesting that you know where sort of what we're talking about is spiritual protection mm-hmm. um what what we're seeing around us is is more on the physical level like it's in it's totally within the material world, but but it is having this effect of bonding people um, together. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting ob- yeah. observation. Well, and, and and even like back then they would say, well, it's spiritual, but a lot of the things that they were doing was it spiritual? Was it, is it biblical that what they were doing that the the acts that they were doing would does God move in that way where he's well, I got to get complete compliance. Right. <laughs> Before I actually, uh, you know, start protecting you guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. And um, it was spiritual. But what we're saying today, like look, with the vaccines, I'm seeing it as like, well, is is it physical? Is it material? Does that actually happen? I would say that 
people are acting in more of a spiritual way than in a physical way. And that, that's a huge side note. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just thought when you were reading it off, I was like, oh man, that's like, yeah, that sounds very familiar to, you know, how certain people groups are being isolated today. Right. And maybe for good, maybe, maybe it's all good. Maybe that's what needs to happen. Right. And I'm not trying to get into that kind of art. I'm just saying that there's, there's parallels there. Yeah, yeah. And maybe not a one-to-one, but. Yeah, what you're saying isn't like for or against the vaccine necessarily. Right, you're, no, yeah, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, interesting. I'm just seeing that parallel there. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, connection. I think too, may- maybe this, uh, the beating of the bounds ceremony, maybe that's a little bit too far removed for people. Um, so I think, you know, we could also think about the Eucharist um, in this. There are, um, there's several reasons that we need to repent before we come to the Lord's table. But one of those reasons is because it is a cup of unity. Like we, we, we don't often, as secular people, think about the corporate implications of the Eucharist, but it is a cup of unity. It affects a bond between all who are in Christ. In, in our union with Christ, we are united to his body, the church, and and our most visible union with the body of Christ is with the people we worship with who are who are sitting next to us in the pews. So in a similar way as in the beating of the bounds ritual, we, we, went, we might ask then what happens when an individual refuses to participate in the prescribed manner, mm-hmm. right? If somebody is, is living in unrepentant sin, for example, then just like the person in the last example, they have rejected and are actively working against the shared beliefs and practices and rituals of the community. And it doesn't escalate to this immediately, of course, but if the problem persists, ultimately it leads to excommunication, uh, which is a a disfellowshipping primarily through withholding the Eucharist. This is the response of the church. We're not going to let them participate in this ritual while they are in a state of division. Mm-hmm. So when the church excommunicates, it's not just for the sake of the individual, right? It is for their sake. It, it's for their protection and hopefully serves to call them back to repentance, but it is also for the protection of the entire community because our lives actually are intertwined and one person's sin does affect the whole. And so the, the Eucharist is this religious ritual that both symbolizes and affects our union with one another. It it accomplishes what it symbolizes. 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 17 says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. It is our eating together that makes us one. So in, in our union with Christ in the sacrament, we are also united to his body. And so we have this Um, ancient structure in place where we excommunicate or bar from communion somebody who is willfully unrepentant in order to either create circumstances that can drive them to conform to the religious ritual or to ostracize them so that the rest of the community is not exposed to or negatively affected by being united to them in their state of sin, right? We, we, We drive them from the community in order to protect the community from the consequences of their sin. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think people don't understand 
excommunication because th- they think about it individualistically and, and, and think, you know, how could you do that to that person? They need Christ. And, and of course that's true, but, but first of all, excommunication is meant to drive someone to Christ um, and, and hopefully to repentance. But at the same time, we have to think about the community and to offer protection for the community. We have to consider the effect that an individual can have on the whole because we're not monads. The Christian religion is a fundamentally corporate endeavor. So the, the sin of an individual coming to the table of the Lord has communal repercussions because we are all in that act united to one another in a much deeper way than we can even comprehend. Yeah, and I think I think it's important to emphasize here that we're talking a per, about a person who's in chronic, unrepentant sin. And this yeah. isn't like... I mean, the know, church you, doesn't excommunicate willy-nilly. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> it, it's, it's not like me driving the car and then flipping somebody off and then feeling bad about it. Yeah. And, oh, you're going to get excommunicated because you uh, were driving and you fell into <laughs> sin and and uh, now you're going to have to get, uh, you know... Yeah. It, yeah. It's chronic, unrepentant sin. Willful. Willful. Persistent. Persistent. Yeah. And it's just like I'm placing myself above God and all the people in my community. Yeah, and somebody that has been warned several times. Like it, it, yeah. It's not like it escalates right to, yeah. you know... Excommunicate. Well, you're getting excommunicated. There you go. <laughs> Come back next week and see yeah. if you're see if you're in. We we won't tell you. <laughs> and there and there's always a, a a repentance process that comes along with it, right? Like, yeah. you know, we have to bar you, and you should come back through repentance. Yeah. Yeah. It's for their good. It's yes. like you we want you back, please, yeah. but we can't let you continually live this way mm-hmm. and and hurt yourself and the community. Yeah, I just wanted to emphasize that. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> that's probably fair. Yeah. <laughs> As we talk about individualism, I think it is like, it's so pervasive. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's just everywhere inside the church uh, and outside the church. And, you know, I think in some ways, even uh, the structure of the Protestant church conforms to an individualistic way of thinking. Like we, we have so many different denominations and um, not just denominations, but there's thousands of churches that would say they function in total independence, Mm -hmm. independent Christian churches. That should be like an oxymoron. And I mean, to the excommunication point, things like excommunication Mm -hmm. are a lot less effective uh, in an age of division, because if you get kicked out of your church, it's not necessarily today going to drive you to repentance because that impetus for reconciliation just isn't present to nearly the same degree when you can just go to the next church down the road. Yeah. Right? And and at the same time, just like we don't really think that the beliefs or actions of an individual um, can spiritually affect the whole, we also don't really think that the beliefs or the decisions of a church body down the road have anything to do with our own church or put any obligation on us. Our, our, our notion of oneness, of unity, of communion is damaged right now. It's been taken over by a priority on the individual and on what we would probably call the right to walk independently and to make our own choices. And I think we we, we don't even really see the consequences that that has on the whole. You know, I not that this is like a hugely damaging thing. Like this just makes me think of having community, like a community group with people. 
and I, I, I use this example often when I'm in community with people, is that when they, de- when they say, uh, or when they don't show up. So you, let's say you have a group of 10 people and one person doesn't show up and, you know, the group goes on and they keep, and then this person comes and goes as they please. Yeah. And I like to use the example of, well, when you're not there, you're hurting our community because you bring so much flavor to our group. Right. But we have this mentality and I've had, I'm, you know, I'm guilty of this where, you know, there's a group of 10 people. I'm like, well, they don't really notice I'm there. I'm not going to go. I'm just going to, you know, uh, what am I bringing to the group? What, who cares? Who cares if I'm there or not? Yeah. And so I don't go. And I'd rather stay home and read anyway. Or yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah. And they won't notice that I'm there. So it, it becomes this individual choice and I'm not like, and I, I've come around more in my thinking on that in that, no, I need to be there because I bring something that no one else brings because God created me. Right. And he put me in this community for a reason. I need to be there. Whether I say anything or not, because I'm, I can, I can be a fly on the wall sometimes, but my mere presence, not to over overstate my mere presence, <laughs> but but it's it's. I've it's, always said that about you, man. When that guy walks when, into a room, yeah, you know it. Yeah, well, it's the face for radio, right? It's. <laughs> um, but it's it's the it's not my presence. It's the presence that God has placed in me that He wants in a place and in a time and in a group. And when I don't go there, I'm removing that from that community and from that group. Right. And I'm doing so from for a selfish reason. Right. In my example, mm-hmm. of course, there's reasons to not show up at certain points. If you're sick, if you're, you know, if something's going on in your life, of course, we have compassion for that. But to, to do so for selfish reasons, like... Yeah, it's really interesting, this stuff. And I, I think there's some tension there too. It, it's hard to grapple with, honestly. And, it is. And we're using these, um, you know, some of our examples have been pretty extreme. Um, I'm not opposed to individual freedoms. And I, I, I don't think that people should be coerced into conformity. No, absolutely. Um, or, or, or anything like that. I think maybe it could sound like that. But I think I think we're just trying to, you know, the pendulum has swung so far and we're trying to nudge it back the mm-hmm. other way a little bit. And so, you know, maybe some of our statements are a little extreme. I don't know. Um, but that would be but my certainly, fault. certainly the pendulum does need to swing, right? And, and and to help us to see how deeply interconnected our lives really are. We, we are knit together in Christ. Mm-hmm. And our choice to walk independently instead of interdependently mm-hmm. does have communal repercussions. And it, it's really foreign to our way of thinking. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I don't want to overstate, you know, not showing up to a community group or a, a group. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but to be aware of that, the impact. Yeah, just reflect on how, how, yeah. how does each person's presence contribute to the whole. Right. Like, we're more than the sum of our parts. Exactly. Right. And, but the, the parts have to be there. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think for me, one of the one of the clearest examples of individualism in the church is how we as as Protestants treat Scripture. Um, mm-hmm. We usually sum up our doctrine of Scripture with the phrase "sola scriptura," which means Scripture alone. Um, now, this is a pretty loaded topic. We're not going to go like super deep into it right now, 
But Sola Scriptura came about as a reaction to medieval Roman Catholicism, which engaged in many practices that were extra biblical and 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 required as dogma teachings that were not explicitly taught in the scriptures. And so the reformers were trying to get away from that and certainly felt that returning to scripture alone would lead to doctrinal unity, right? Because if we all have the same scriptures and we all have the same Holy Spirit, how could we not all come to the same conclusions and, and, and find agreement? Um, <laughs> I, I, I think we can all see in hindsight that that's not what happened. Um, Sola Scriptura did not, has not produced an interpretation of Scripture that everyone can agree on. It, it hasn't actually brought us together. Um, in fact, it's quite the opposite. It's produced uh, more division than probably anything else in history. Hmm. And um, partly, I think it's because what we mean by Sola Scriptura from, say, a secular viewpoint is not necessarily what was intended at the time of the Reformation. Um, I think when the Reformers used the term Sola Scriptura, they meant you know, that Scripture alone contains all things that are necessary for salvation. Scripture alone is our foundation for doctrine. Scripture alone contains the authoritative record of God's revelation to mankind, things like that. Mm-hmm. They didn't intend to fully jettison tradition as a source of authority, but, but just wanted to make sure that, that tradition was understood as something that was itself born out of Scripture and is therefore accountable to Scripture. So in my opinion, it's better to think of that as prima scriptura, the primacy of Scripture. Mm. I, th- I think that's more true to what we were aiming at um, in terms that you know, maybe is more intuitive for us. But regardless of what may have been intended, what it quickly morphed into is sort of this idea that anyone can interpret Scripture for themselves and that all interpretations of Scripture are equally valid. Um, not that anyone would agree that all interpretations are equally valid because, you know, <laughs> the interpretations of my theological opponents are obviously idiotic, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so maybe, doesn't, maybe, maybe we wouldn't agree on that, right. but it's implicit in the system. Be, because there's no way to distinguish between competing claims. It's just one person's word against another person's word. I, you know, I say the Bible says this, and you say the Bible says that, and we we have nothing to distinguish between who's right and who's wrong in that. And so, I, I guess what I'm saying is that sola scriptura in practice is not actually scripture alone. It is my interpretation of scripture alone. Mm-hmm. And anyone who disagrees with me is denying the word of God and has not received the Holy Spirit of truth who enlightens our understanding. And so, you know, we, we, we kind of elevate our own interpretation of Scripture to um, the status of infallible divinity, which, which means that we can't tolerate disagreement. So we have to go out and start new churches because how could we be in communion with people who don't believe in the word of God and who don't have the Holy Spirit? Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh it sounds familiar to something about an apple and Adam and Eve and something like that where yeah. <laughs> you know we make ourselves like God. <laughs> something like that, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I think sola scriptura has been twisted to essentially facilitate the elevation of the individual as the highest source of authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are so many people today 
who truly believe it's okay to love Jesus, but to hate the church, and who don't feel that it's important um, to even maintain a connection to the church. You know, as long as I've got a Bible, me and Jesus can figure it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because what's important in a secular age is what I believe, and my own personal relationship with the Lord, which doesn't have anything to do with you. And, and, and I get to decide what that looks like, and I get to decide what the Bible really says. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hope you can see that this, this actually just serves to subordinate the scriptures to the individual, and it obscures the corporate nature of the body of Christ. If we have each been united to Christ, then we are necessarily also united to one another. Mm-hmm. Like, like, that's just logically necessary. Yeah. We, 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 so we can't just separate ourselves and expect that everything is going to be okay. Yeah, no, exactly. I, you know, I, this is all showing how the individual is asserting itself into the, into the groundwater, right? Right. In that we're just starting to wick it up. And some people might even be, you know, my interpretation of scripture and they're not even reading the Bible. (laughs) Right, it's it, it's almost it's almost uh, the the Holy Spirit above all, even above the Word of the, of, of the Lord through the Bible, right? And it's like I've been the Lord revealed this to me through through dreams and and words, and right. I don't even need the Bible to you know test it against. I know that this is true, and now you know follow me or not. Yeah, yeah, personal revelation. Yeah, personal revelation. Yeah, that gets pretty dangerous pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, people in like general society pick up on this too and like it doesn't take long if you if you ever read like atheist forums and and stuff like that like atheists interpret the bible this way quite happily right like yeah oh absolutely (laughs) and 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 are more than happy to say that their interpretation of scripture is the right one yeah right like how can you believe this when the bible says this yeah you know and they take like one scripture out of the old testament where it was like just completely cultural they're like, well, you believe this. It's, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, you haven't obviously read the whole thing. You've been really good at reading one verse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and your hermeneutic is a secular one. It's not a yeah. Christological one. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, your interpretations are going to be different than mine. Yeah. And wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so... What do we do about it? Um, yeah, that's my question. What do we do about it? <laughs> Honestly, this, this is a hard one to grapple with. I think, you know, on the question of how do we start to think of ourselves as, as truly knit together and to see how intertwined our lives are and how interdependent we really are, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, that's it for this. Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm sure you have more to say. Well, I think... I mean, maybe as a start, you know, when you come to the Eucharist, start thinking about the corporate implications of that. Um, you know, if, if it is the cup of unity, what does that mean? And what does that mean for the person sitting beside me and and whatever? But I think it's something that's going to take a lot of time to get mm-hmm. into us, right? Like, it, it, I don't know. It's not intuitive. It's very counterintuitive. And, and so to, to change our way of thinking and behaving and acting, um, it, it's not easy and it's not quick. Um, so yeah, I really have no idea on, 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 on the other question that's sort of latent there on, on the question of self-exaltation, um, 
nobody really wants to hear this because you know we're all individuals but but the antidote to individualism to self-exaltation is submission or or humility submission uh, not to a lone individual because that's just more of the same problem at maybe a slightly larger scale but submission to Christ submission to the scriptures submission to the rule of faith submission to the community of believers who we are united to and and yes submission to the godly admonitions of our leaders mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes that's hard to suss out exactly what that looks like. But I think, you know, submission to the Word of God looks very different and feels very different from forcing the Word of God to submit to you. So instead of asserting our independence, we should be allowing the timeless message of the gospel to mold us and to unite our hearts to one another and acknowledging our interdependence. Let's just look at, um, you know, we've talked about a lot of negative things, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just briefly look at at a positive example before we wrap up here in the Apostle Paul. So in Acts chapter 9, Paul, or Saul as he is named there, has this dramatic conversion experience where he received a revelation of Jesus Christ directly from Christ. Mm Mm-hmm. And he is adamant about this for the rest of his life, that that he did not receive the message of the gospel from any man, but from Christ himself. And so I think if there's anyone that could have functioned independently in a way that was still true to the gospel, mm-hmm. it was Paul. Like he, he actually did have access to the gospel message in some ways apart from the community of faith, mm-hmm. at least for a few moments. Yes. And yet when he chronicles his journey— in, in Galatians chapter 1 and 2, what we see is that before Paul is actually released into his apostolic ministry, he went to Jerusalem and submitted his gospel, the gospel message that Jesus Christ had revealed to him directly mm-hmm. to the apostles. And, and, and he was willing to lay it down if the apostles didn't approve, because it says um, that they added nothing to me, but that implies that they could have. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, think about that. Like, Paul received a revelation of Christ from Christ himself, personally. And he takes it from Christ, and he brings it, and he lays it down at the feet of the apostles in Jerusalem, and he gives them permission to judge it. Why does he do that? Mm-hmm. You know, was he, was he exalting the apostles above Christ? I don't think he was. I think, I think he submits his gospel to them because the message only makes sense— in the context of the community. Like, it's not just me and Jesus and a Bible or my personal revelation. There is a community involved. Mm -hmm. And and at the core of that community is the teaching and practices of the apostles. So so Paul's message, apart from the apostles, would be incoherent. Christian unity is actually essential to the Christian message. We're, we're, We're not just a collection of individuals. We are a people, and we have been called by God to bear witness to his name. First Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 5 says, uh, you, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. I think if I was, if I was going to try to get you to visualize the church and, and, and the process of conversion, what does that look like in your mind? You, you, you'd probably see, you know, this magnificent ancient cathedral 
you know, beautiful stonework and stained glass windows and, and all of that kind of thing. But we would see, we would see it as a completed structure that when people are converted, they just enter into mm-hmm. uh, some, something like that. Right. But what we have here in, in first Peter, um, you like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. That's an image of the church as a building that is under construction mm-hmm. and People don't just enter into it through the doors, but they are actually incorporated into its very structure. Mm-hmm. Right? You, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. Mm-hmm. And, and the church is not complete until every stone is in place. We have been bound together in Christ, and therefore our beliefs and our actions are, you know, if I can mix metaphors, are our threads that are woven into the fabric that holds us mm-hmm. all together or, or, the, or the mortar, I guess, in, in, in this spiritual house. Mm-hmm. You know, we are unique individuals. Every, every stone in the building is unique, but we're also embedded in a community and our lives are deeply intertwined with one another. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it reminds me of uh, something I, I talked to my son about he he's been having issues with uh just being afraid at night and certain things that he that'll come to his mind and so we've been telling him you know submit those things to Christ uh, give them to him mm-hmm. and he will give you back courage and bravery instead of fear and so then the one night my son's big time into lego okay <laughs> he's 10 years old and um and it just it dawned on me that I was like oh this isn't like uh this isn't a one and done deal and so then I was just like, oh, you know, son, he, when you give these things to Christ, when you give your fears to Christ, you're giving him refuse and and broken things. Right. And then he, and I, because he likes Lego, I said, he, he turns it into a Lego piece. And then he gives you a piece of your bravery in the form of a Lego piece. And he's building your bravery into an amazing Lego set. And it's not done yet. But every time you do it, he's giving you another piece of that Lego set. And so I don't know when your Lego set's going to be done. But at some point, you're going to have bravery and courage that is a completed in, in its completed form. And I said, I don't know what that is, but we can keep giving him those things. And I love that in community that he sees my friends doing it, that he sees his friends doing it, and that they're speaking and then even you are speaking this type of thing mm-hmm. uh living stones and that we're we're a part of this god isn't building the church separate from us mm-hmm. he's building it with us yeah like god's not building a huge collection of individuals right but we're we're all part of the same structure mm-hmm. um I, I i really love that metaphor um in first peter because it, it just communicates that so, so clearly. Like, yeah. and, and even it talks about our, our salvation as well. Like our, our salvation is, is corporate. Like mm-hmm. we always think of our, our individual conversion experience and our personal relationship with God and our eventual full unity with Christ as individuals. We think mm-hmm. about it really individualistically. Yeah. Um, but salvation is, is the whole thing and it's not complete until every individual has been 
put in their place in this spiritual house. Right. And then we all experience the fullness of salvation together. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, there's so many things that we just, we individualize them and then we have a hard time grappling with, you know, analogies or, or metaphors like this that, that seem so communal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. And even, even in my own life, I had a, an experience where, you know, I, great hardship was placed on me because of someone else. And I was, you know, you know that you're impeding on my individuality here. What's wrong with you? And so, <laughs> you know, on the way to meet with them, I'm like, uh, metaphorically, of course, loading both guns and like, ah, okay, now I'm, you know, I got all this ammunition metaphorically. <laughs> I just want to make sure that that's yeah. <laughs> no real guns. No were real guns. I don't own story. any guns. So, um, <laughs> but then the the Lord so graciously spoke to me, and you know, when I say spoke, you know, inspired thought, and was just like, oh yeah, you don't have to defend yourself, because I actually want that person's heart as much as I want your heart, and so you may be going through some pain right now, but it's so that I can get to their heart. And that communal aspect where I was like, oh, okay, so my pain isn't for nothing. Right. And that it, it opened up the world of that, that, that mindset of community where I'm like, oh, yeah, like if God's after my heart and I truly believe he is mm-hmm. and he's willing to knock down mountains, well, he's going to do that for you, Amos. He's going to do that for our listeners. He's going to do that for a, right. a person who doesn't believe in God. Because he wants their heart desperately. Yeah. And so that may end up with me going through some discomfort. And I'm actually willing for that to happen now. Whereas I think before I wasn't. Right. Where I was just kind of like, eh, you know what? No, my individual life is more important. Does that make sense? That it's kind of like... Yeah, I think so. It's more communal in my, in my thought process yeah. around that. I think we're... I mean, we are so individualistic that i mean any anything we can do to try to swing that pendulum back a little bit is probably going to be on the right track you know even like we've been talking about it's hard to it's hard to grapple with this stuff it's hard to necessarily put it into words or to know mm-hmm. how do we put this kind of thing into action and so you know maybe we're not 100% in the right direction but in general we are so extreme in our individualism yeah. that any move away from it is is a good one <laughs> yeah. So, and, and you're saying you're, we're using an analogy of the pendulum, right? Yeah. And would would you say that the the complete group mentality is the other side of the pendulum, so that there is no individual, right? And that we are not, you know, we yeah. only exist for the the group and not for ourselves. Yeah. That's the other side. There's, there's no unique stone, but it's it's all bleeding together into right. one it's, undefinable entity yeah, or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like throwing blobs of uh, goo into a yeah. pile. Where even like this this one of the reasons I love this metaphor so much in First Peter is is because it actually does give some balance there too. Because yeah, you think about you know the building materials that are used; those are significant. Yes. And, you know, the ornamentation, that's significant. Yeah. And and it all adds to the beauty and the splendor and the structure of it. And yes. so the individual does matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I guess that's what individual, I was trying to. 
the individual has to find their place of, you know, say service and belonging within the context of the community of the people of God. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's a submission to Christ. Right. And it's a, uh, yeah, submission. The master builder. Yeah. The master builder. Okay. I just wanted to make sure we're clear that we're not, we're not saying the group is all that matters. The individual matters. And we're just trying to swing that pendulum back to the center. Yeah. To find a balance in the tension. Yeah. There's so many things in the Bible with tension, isn't there? <laughs> the great part of, of having these discussions is that we can individually come together <laughs> and have a discussion like this and yeah. and try to, you know, submit to one another and submit to Christ yeah. in humility as you as you have said. And maybe just that these kind of conversations actually build unity. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, thanks for chatting with me today, Tyler. Thank you, Amos. And uh, as always, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, missionarydistrict at gmail.com. And thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Yep. Bye.